Today is August 2nd, 2021, and our first story, the suspension on the U.S. debt ceiling is over, and Congress has not acted to raise it, which means the U.S. has begun liquidating assets in a desperate bid to pay off its debts and is on the verge of a default for the first time ever, and that could spell global catastrophe. Which brings us to our second story. The moratorium on evictions is over, and there are now millions of foreclosures on the line, millions of evictions pending, and if Biden or the Democrats don't do something, let's just say global economic crisis is putting it lightly. In our last story, China is locking down millions of people, which spells bad news for the rest of us. As noted in the previous story, a White House official tells Jack Posobiec lockdowns are coming to the U.S. Now, if you like this show, give us a good review. Leave us five stars. And if you really like the show, share it with your friends. Now let's get into that first story. Depending on which news source you read, the economy is either doing better than ever and everyone is super excited recovery is here at last or we're on the verge of a major economic catastrophe. Now, I am of the personal opinion, based on all the stories and the sources I have for you today, that we are facing a very serious economic crisis. It can be averted, but it would seem the only options we have are to kick the can down the road and hope that we can keep kicking the can down the road. My friends, the U.S. debt ceiling limit has been reached. Congress has not raised the the debt ceiling, which means the U.S. cannot take on any more debt to pay off its obligations and may be on the verge of a default for the first time in like 100 years or something to that effect. The effects of which are unknown. Most experts can't really give us a general idea of what would happen if we do default, but most seem to agree it would mean chaos in the global markets. It could mean recession, depression. One company doesn't get the money that it's owed by the U.S. government, which triggers a loss of confidence because the U.S. government can't pay off its debts and then everyone kind of freaks out. You see, the debt ceiling was suspended in 2019. It was frozen around $22 trillion. I think, I guess what they're saying now is that because we're at like $28 trillion in national debt and the suspension ended, that's the limit. And Congress has to approve the U.S. taking on even more debt. At the same time this is happening, we have the end of the eviction moratorium, which means millions of people are going to get kicked out of their apartments and maybe even their homes and homes may be foreclosed upon. So we have the uh, just... It's, it, is, it is the king of economic scares, to put it mildly. Now, there's a couple things that may happen. Congress may rush in and then lift the debt ceiling, giving the U.S. government the ability to take on more debt, pay off its debts. But right now, the U.S. is liquidating assets to get the cash it needs to maintain it or, or to pay off its debts. We're, we're at the point where the United States is selling stuff on Craigslist effectively. I'm joking, but you've, 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 you ever been one of, you, have you ever been in one of those positions where you're like, I don't have any money, so it's time to sell the old guitar because I got to pay rent. That's kind of where we're at. Now, if Congress comes in and raises the debt ceiling, then we just take on more national, uh, more national debt. They'll borrow money from somewhere. They'll issue bonds, and then they'll get that money to pay things off. But the bonds work so long as people have confident, uh, confidence in the U.S. government, those bonds will be paid back. They're kicking the can down the road. Plus, when it comes to the moratorium on evictions, if they extend the moratorium to December 31st, if, if Congress gets together and does this, 
Well, then they're still just kicking the can down the road, and maybe that's the best we can do, or at the very least, it gives you some time to figure out what you need to do. But while this is happening, we're also hearing some scuttlebutt. Jack Posobiec says a White House official is saying that they are working on language about another national lockdown. Of course, Dr. Fauci says that's not going to happen. But considering what China is doing, locking down, the military being deployed in Sydney, I am of the opinion, boy, is it going to get bad. And then eventually, I guess, when the next year, you will own nothing and you will be happy. There are shortages across the board. They're getting worse. I, I, every time I do a segment on the economic issues that are happening, happening right now, I can show you all of these stories about the economic crisis. But the big question right now is what's going to happen with the Delta variant? Because the reason we're in this mess to begin with is because we locked down 15 days to slow the spread. What if I were to tell you they are firing nurses because the nurses aren't getting vaccinated and many nurses are protesting, saying they refuse At the same time, there is a nursing shortage in many of these areas. It seems insane. There's one photo where nurses saying heroes during the pandemic, and now they're being, you know, tossed out. And this is just some areas. But I'll tell you this. If we're supposed to get out of this crisis and we have a labor shortage, a nursing shortage, a food shortage, a political crisis, it doesn't seem to be going too well for us. Now, I'm not trying to say it's the end of the world. This is, these are just some stories. That, like I mentioned, there are many stories that are saying everything is better than ever. So it's up to you to figure out what's best for you and what makes the most sense. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, constantly bringing up all these negative articles and everything, but perhaps this would just help you remain resilient. Be calm. Try and sort through this stuff. Like I said, some articles say the economy is recovering, the labor shortages are temporary, and that may be the case. But for now, we've got a couple other big issues on our hands. The debt ceiling which has always been lifted. So maybe that will happen. And we've got the moratorium on evictions ending. Well, let's read this news and see exactly what's going on. And I will break down for you what the debt ceiling means. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com. Become a member to get an ad-free experience on the website as you read our articles. But you'll also get access to our exclusive members-only content, of which right now is segments from the TimCast IRL podcast. But we are going to be launching a couple new shows. We've got a new show on mysteries and, and spooky stories, true crime, things like that. And now we are putting together a Dungeons & Dragons show that will explore different scenarios and how they how these ideas relate to modern politics. But it's not going to be a political show. Trust me, it's going to be cool stuff. And as a member, you'll get all of that. So go to TimCast.com, sign up. But don't forget to like this video, subscribe to this channel and share the show with your friends. Let's read the first story from the Washington Examiner. U.S. hits debt ceiling, leaving Treasury a few months of runway with extraordinary measures. To put it simply, they are uh, selling off their stuff to pay their bills. The examiner reports the Treasury Department is embarking upon extraordinary measures to keep the United States temporarily from defaulting after the federal debt ceiling was reinstated and immediately became binding on Sunday. A two-year congressional suspension of the debt ceiling expired Sunday, making the level of federal debt more than $28 trillion. The new ceiling, uh, making more than $28 trillion the new ceiling. The Treasury is expected immediately to take emergency cash conservation steps to pay incoming bills without issuing debt over the limit. On Friday, it had already begun preparing for the deadline when it stopped selling state and local government series securities. The debt limit was paused at $22 trillion in 2019. National debt hit $22 trillion in April of that year, less than a year after it hit $21 trillion. Since then, 
federal spending grew massively over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Congress must act to raise or suspend the cap or the U.S. could fall behind on its obligations or fail to make a payment on the debt, a scenario that would have catastrophic effects on the global financial on global financial markets. Raising the ceiling has resulted in tension in the past as the party out of power has often demanded concessions for agreeing on an increase because basically they have to agree. It's actually kind of a good thing. Republicans and Democrats are always fighting over certain things. And I think compromise is important. Not a big fan of the of the uniparty's authoritarianism, but we're dangerously close to this country being torn into shreds. And we it may, I don't know, may be inevitable to uh, at this point. But the idea is we have to raise the debt ceiling. You need a certain number of votes. So long as there's no supermajority, the party in power says, "Okay, what do you want? Let's get it done. It's another kind of, you know, filibuster of sorts. Now, right now, I think it may be too chaotic because the progressives are at odds with the establishment Democrats. So it's not even about the Republicans at this point. The examiner says Josh Rosen, an adjunct economics professor at University of New Haven, told the examiner that in the meantime, the Treasury will be taking steps to free up cash to pay incoming bills, such as redeeming investments in federal pension plans and essentially shedding assets to generate cash until Congress acts. acts. Such fiscal maneuvers are referred to as extraordinary measures. I love how they say uh, shedding assets. Uh, That's what I call it when I go on Craigslist and say I've got a guitar to sell. I'm desperate for money. Yes, shedding assets. In a letter to congressional leadership, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen implored lawmakers to act and pointed out that no previous U.S. president or Treasury secretary has ever entertained the notion of allowing the country to default on any obligation. The current level of debt reflects the cumulative effects of all prior spending and tax decisions, which have been made by administrations and congresses of both parties over time, she wrote. Failure to meet those obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy and the livelihoods of all Americans. Even the threat of failing to meet those obligations has caused detrimental impacts in the past, including the sole credit rating downgrade in the history of the nation in 2011. She added, highlighting when the U.S. was downgraded from AAA to AA plus by Standard and Poor's for the first and only time. Adding to the drama for the moment, Congress has been closely divided and the 50-50 split Senate will need to have 10 Republicans join with all of the Democrats in order for the ceiling to be increased or paused by overcoming the filibuster. Although that Democrat, although Democrats overcome that through budget reconciliation, where only a simple majority, including Kamala Harris, uh, Kamala Harris's vote is needed. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five star reviews on Trustpilot, Google and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process and life changing results which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or 
Give them a call at 877-646-5347. Again, that number is 877-646-5347. This is a time bomb is the country is divided right now and you have 50 50 Democrat Republican for the time being. There's enough establishment Republicans to just give the Democrats but what 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 they want. But imagine the fissure in American politics splits and continues to the point where you have nationalist populist Republicans in the majority and you have establishment elite Democrats on the other side. And they say we need 10 votes from you and they say you ain't going to get it. And then the debt ceiling doesn't get lifted. And it would be, I I would imagine the national populists were more likely to be happy with that because, well, it means that things will become less certain. It means that the the establishment uniparty would lose control, but ultimately everybody would kind of lose out. Confidence would be lost in the US. And this could mean really, really bad things for everybody. Now, I want to I show you this money supply thing real quick. I know I show this a lot, and a lot of people say, you don't understand it, you're wrong. Well, hold on, hold on. This is the M1 money stock, okay? It is billions of dollars seasonally adjusted, and you can see two, there's, there's, there's a couple things I want to show you. First, there's a major spike in 2020 because of COVID. And a lot of people have said, Tim, no, 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 it's, it's not a massive increase in the money stock. It's, it's a change in how they track the money stock. If that's the case, look at from after they change it from May 2020 on to June 2021, there's still a dramatically large spike. So let me slow down. <clears throat> I want to tell you what I think is happening. From, from 1960 on, 1959, we can see it's the, the, the money supply has slowly been increasing. This is basically liquid assets, things that are available for, 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 uh, uh, for trade, right? The money supply. Actually, let me just show you. They say before May 2020, it is currency outside the U.S. Treasury, Federal Reserve banks, vaults of depository institutions, demand deposits at commercial banks. And they say less cash items and process, blah, 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 Check, checkable deposits consisting of negotiable order of withdrawal and automatic transfers, ATS, account depository institutions. Long story short, the cash that you have that you can't spend. What changed in May of 2020 was that because of COVID, they said you can now use your savings account like a checking account. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. Fact check me on that one, but I'm, that's, that, I, I checked into it, but I'm not an economics expert. So my, my understanding is that this meant that all savings was now instantly view, viewed as liquid assets. The way they describe it is first, before May, it was checkable deposits. And after May, it was liquid deposits. That's right. Liquid casher is in your savings. But that's not what's important. Here's what I kind of think may be happening. Around 2008, we see a major spike and a shift in the, in, in the increase in the M1 money supply. We know that Barack Obama did that economic stimulus. It would seem that something really bad happened on, we all know, is the economic crisis, which led to a massive increase in the money supply, which brings us to this exact same position. They add savings to the money supply, hoping that people will have money to spend on things. But now everything has gone haywire. And even after they changed the reporting status, you still see the spike is dramatically larger and faster than it's ever been. I think we're having a heart attack, like a figurative one, uh, a credit cardiac arrest, as it were, that the U.S. is is struggling and desperately trying to reconcile the failing economic system. 
because this, 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 this Ponzi scheme can only go on for so long where the U.S. just snaps its fingers and says, increase the debt ceiling. Hey, now we can borrow and spend more money. And then the U.S. issues bonds and people buy it and they have cash. They pay off their debts and then they got to pay that back later with interest. How do they do it? Now, the stimulus, there's been attempts at just flooding the, you know, quantitative easing, flooding the system with money, desperately trying to pay things down, but it doesn't work forever. So where do we go? Well, I don't know for sure. I'm not an economist, okay? I just look at this and I'm like, hey, look at this blue hockey stick. That's freaky, right? It's the best I can put it. There's a big spike. But we know why we're here. And now we have this from Jack Posobiec, White House official this AM. His lockdown speech being drawn up this week. They're planning to make it sound like one of the most solemn in history. Real Bush on the night of 9-11 type stuff would start stocking up if I were y'all. Jack's source could be wrong, but we do know that Jack Posobiec has sources in the White House because he's had numerous stories, I, I think most of them, confirmed that his sources come out and they say, and then, you know, all right. But maybe it's wrong. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend. It's one guy on Twitter saying, hey, here's someone who told me something. For all we know, this White House official got no idea what he's talking about. For all we know, the information is bad, and that may be the case. Jack previously stated that there were conversations within the White House that the second week of August, there were going to be more lockdowns and that basically all the blue states were on board with it. I wouldn't be surprised. In, in China, for instance, they're, they're already saying numerous cities, millions are now being locked down because of the Delta variant. We see what's starting in China might reach the rest of the world. The military was deployed in Sydney. Yikes, man. So maybe. Now, when the first lockdowns hit, what did that really mean? I mean, we thought 15 days to slow the spread. We knew there was going to be a run on certain items. There was fear of gas shortages, but it turned out everybody went for the toilet paper. Okay. But this did result in a short-term supply disruption. So what happened was people ran to stores, bought as much as they could. And while there wasn't a shortage on, on most goods, they were taken from the shelves. So here's what would happen. You would go into Walmart. I did this. We went into our local Walmart and there was no toilet paper. We asked them and they said, we have toilet paper in the back. We just don't have our stockers here because they come in at night or something to that effect. Like they just need to be restocked. So they were constantly trying to put more out. People were grabbing it because everyone, because it was a massive spike of demand due to fear, everybody raided the shelves. And then within a couple of weeks, it was all back. Eventually, though, this had a ripple effect because of the shutdowns. Dairy producers, for instance, they load up big tanks with all that milk. They got to process it. They got to ship it. They got to bottle it. It's got to get made into cream and yogurt and all this stuff. And because of the disruptions in between bottling plants, plastics, etc., they had nothing to do with the milk. So they just drained it all out, flooded it out. Farms were, I forget what it's called, but they were like, there was one thing I read about carrots and they came in and just plowed over. So all the carrots got shoved back into the dirt, basically just recycled back into the dirt. Because they had, there, was nothing, there was no system by which they could start distributing this stuff. A lot of people said, we need to get the food from these places and bring it to the city somehow. But there was a supply chain disruption. Now we're over a year into the lockdown. There was a brief period where restrictions were lifted and it seemed like we were going back to normal. And now it seems like we're diving right back in. I don't know if it's actually going to lock down. Maybe it won't. But what happens after the first lockdown we saw with when, when things were going great, we locked down, boom, we get a shortage. We get weird short-term shortages. What happens when you have long-term labor shortages, staffing shortages, when you have resource shortages, when the factories can't produce, and then you lock down again? 
you will own nothing and you will be happy. From eat this, not that, six shortages Costco is facing right now. From tomato sauce to chicken nuggets, these are the items Costco is currently out of. Start planting your tomato plants now, my friends. We got so many tomatoes, we've been eating them like crazy. Just barely lightly breaded chicken, chicken breast chunks, shortage. Kirkland premium canned dog food, water. <laughs> okay, that one's freaky. They say, quote, we are currently out of water. Read a sign posted near bottles of water next to another sign stating there's a limit of five cases of any brand per person at a Costco warehouse, according to a post on Reddit. This is not yet an e- there is not yet an ETA for our next delivery. We apologize for the inconvenience. People are going out and buying up water bottles. Now, fortunately for us out here in the middle of nowhere, we're partially off the grid. That means we have access to electricity and water and internet, regardless of any hard lines. We're still like on the grid. I mean, you're on the internet, you know what I mean? But we have satellite. It's not that good. We have solar power. Not that good. We're getting better solar. And we have our own water sources, which is fantastic. Our water is amazing. But uh, we will be dramatically limited on electricity if there is like a major outage. I don't think we're going to lose electricity, to be honest. But the water thing is concerning because many people in cities will not have access to water if the main municipal water supply is somehow damaged or shut down, which does happen. I don't see any reason for it to happen right now, mind you. I'm just saying if people are buying up water and you can't get any, you might want to consider ordering some or having just a couple bottles or, uh, you know, something in storage. I don't, I don't know what to say. Maybe get some of those big, you know, five gallon jugs or you know, what, what, are they 15 gallon or five? I don't know, whatever, 15 gallon. So here's what happened. There was a, a, an algal bloom in one of the Great Lakes. And then in Ohio, you, your water from your sink, you couldn't drink. It was, it, was, it was toxic or something like that. So people went out buying bottled water. That's why this is important. That's why bottled water, I think, is a great product. Not that I like the plastics or anything like that. Chips and oils. This was crazy to me. Costco CFO Richard Galanti recently discussed the rise in grocery prices and noted increased demand in various product categories, various shortages of everything from chips to oils and chemical supplies by facilities hit by the Gulf freeze and storms, in some cases, higher commodity prices, tomato sauce. Now, this might seem to be like, okay, who cares about these one particular, these particular things? Okay, that I get. Fine. Maybe you don't care about tomato sauce, chips, or oils, or whatever, but you got to understand this is surface level stuff. You go to Costco and you notice there's things missing. But what don't you see? Aluminum, maybe? Chlorine? What does that mean? A lot of people don't understand what goes into the manufacture of certain products. Helium is a really great example. You need helium, it's my understanding, for making things like computer chips. Could be wrong. I read this in a book a while ago. So check me on that one. And there's talk about how the U.S. supply of helium, and this is old talk, was like depleted and the U.S. didn't care about it. But you need helium. How do you get it? You mine it. Well, if there's a shortage of something obscure that you don't think matters, you don't realize that it eventually leads to other issues. Eventually, you'll notice, hey, why can't I get my new laptop? They're unable to produce the chips. Why? Well, it could be a hard lockdown stopping them from working, or it could be raw material breakdown. I'll tell you what freaks me out the most. All of this is the result of the lockdowns. Here's a story from KATU. Hospital staff shortages make matters worse in latest coronavirus wave. Portland, Oregon. As healthcare providers battle the latest Delta, the Delta variant, they say they are also dealing with an internal battle overcoming staff shortages. When everybody said, who cares about the unemployment from Joe Biden giving people $15, $16 an hour not to work? Who cares? We shouldn't work anyway. Universal basic income. 
Did anybody stop to think that not every job is making food? Did anybody stop to think that means certain people working in hospitals might be like, I'm going to go sleep on the beach for a couple months and just get my head right. And did anyone ever stop to consider that working in a hospital during a pandemic was extremely stressful and that people eventually would say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. And they'd leave. And then what? How do you stop a pandemic when your medical staff don't want to do it? Now, back in the day, you'd have community-based passions. People would say, I must fight for my community. Today, you don't have that. People are like, screw you. I'm going to do what I want. So they leave, take the paycheck. They don't want to be involved. And then no one's fighting the pandemic. Check out this story from Yahoo News. Nurses fired for not getting COVID-19 vaccine explain their rationale. Now, I always say, look, talk to your doctor about what's right for you. But should we really be firing nurses at a time when we got a nurse shortage? This is at Houston Methodist Hospital. They were fired for refusing to get the COVID vaccine. They say they appealed a judge's ruling that sided with the hospital's right to terminate their employment. Businesses do have a right to terminate you if you do not get the vaccine. They have a right to file a suit and challenge it by all means, but I think the business has that right. However, I also think it's kind of like, dude, we, we need nurses right now. Seriously. This, this one is from Fox 5, Washington, D.C. Nurse shortage, one of the many contributing factors to long ER wait times in the D.C. area. They're going to say that Fox 5's Aisha Khan spoke with several healthcare professionals who aren't denying that emergency rooms are busier even before the pandemic hit. But it's not just because of the staff shortage. Patient volumes across the region have remained high, as, and we continue to see increased acuity of cases, explained Jock McInerney, McInerney, manager of strategic communication and public relations with Suburban Hospital and John Hopkins Medicine. Parameters for diverting ambulances are set by the state of Maryland and D.C. Even if ambulances are being diverted, patients who arrive by car or other means are never turned away. All patients are triaged and treated in order of the severity of their condition. So without getting into too much detail there, this story is from July 21st, and we know there is a nursing shortage. We can see over in Texas from Cron, their health system is feeling the crunch of the latest COVID surge in the midst of a nursing shortage. So this one's from today, which brings me to the main point. Shortages, labor shortages, nursing shortages, all caused by the lockdown. If Congress doesn't act, we will see the U.S. default for the first time in, in, in I think, ever. And if they don't extend the moratorium on, on evictions, then people will be booted out by the millions. The system broke. Uh, that's all, the only thing I can say. It broke. Congress didn't raise the debt ceiling. Well, they better get to it, right? The moratorium on evictions has created this dependency on the system now. And we can't just keep extending it. Landlords got to get paid too. So then what? The government guarantees payment to landlords? Where does that money come from? Selling more bonds, taxing more people? What's the end result? A downward spiral of collapse. People don't work to make stuff. There's no stuff to sell. People are working and people aren't working. They're living for free. The government is footing the bill. Where does that money come from? Selling bonds? The debt ceiling starts to rapidly increase faster and faster. That's the point of showing you the M1 money supply. We are in a maelstrom, my friends. And, and the, the lower we go, the faster the spin gets. And then something changes. I don't know exactly what. I don't know how. But something big is coming. Broad shortages still plague manufacturers, ISM shows, and stunt economic recovery. As I mentioned, there are articles saying the economy is recovering. It's better than ever. This was from today. 
from MarketWatch. There is still broad shortages, labor shortages. How can we recover if people don't work? This story from Yahoo News. Exhausted restaurants turn to technology to address worker shortages. This could be, my friends, a great reset. I don't know about the great reset, but hey, what do you do when nobody wants to work? Well, install kiosks. And that's what we get from Yahoo News, mentioning that although the kiosks might not be the best answer because of COVID and you know, touching all the screens, people are getting mobile apps. You can type in on your mobile app your order, walk in, pick it up and walk out. That's actually a lot better, to be completely honest. But what do they do? Just fire their, their staff? These are cultural issues. People like walking in, talking to a human and saying, I want X, do it. Now we're moving to an era where people don't want to work at these places. I see signs up everywhere for major bonuses. $1,000, come work for Wendy's or something. Why? We don't need them. You can get a robot to make the burger. I'm not even kidding. The burger goes through, a, you know, gets dropped, goes to a conveyor belt, lands on a bun, little robot arm, puts a bun on, puts all the good little, you know, fixings on it. There's these little robots they have at, uh, um, what are they, like rest, rest stations, service centers and highways. There's like a little robot and he like grabs the cup and then he like pulls the lever and then he puts the sprinkles on it. We got robots, man. Robots are going to do the work for us. It's a technological revolution. How do you prevent the revolts and riots of the industrial revolution this time around? Well, Nobody's working. So this way, the, industri- the, the new latest industrial revolution won't result in people rioting and, you know, the Luddites and stuff like that. But then they don't got jobs. Then they're dependent. So what do we move to? The government guarantees people money, some kind of universal basic income. They don't work. They can't be evicted. I think this is a really great experiment. Um, and I don't mean great in a good way. I think this is a great experiment that I'm not confident in. I don't, have the, I don't have all the answers. We got a lot of people on this planet. Check out this story from Business Insider. Talking robot is serving restaurant customers in California because the manager can't find enough workers during the labor shortage. Okay. This is the, this is the way things are now, I suppose. From the Daily Beast. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, from the Daily Mail. Absolute catastrophe from Joe and Kamala. Republicans slam president's migrant crisis as drone captures wave of 1,000 new migrants being held at Texas Border Patrol. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just laying on bad news after bad news after bad news. You know, we've got an economic crisis. We've got an eviction crisis. We've got food and labor shortages. We've got a nursing shortages during a pandemic. And now we can see that Joe Biden has shuffled in 1.2 million people into a country in crisis. Wow. So here's what here's how I feel. Congress couldn't get the, the, the debt ceiling lifted as of now. What are they doing? Where are they at? They, Biden couldn't get the, the, the eviction moratorium uh, extended. He, he, he went to the court. The court said no. He went to Congress. Congress couldn't do it. Now they're like, Biden, quick, do something. He's like, I literally can't. Nobody can do anything. I don't know. The system's broken. This month's going to get crazy. You know, at the end of the month, we have this report coming out about the, the, the lab leak. Republicans are already claiming they've concluded that it happened, that it was leaked in Wuhan. And this this feels like the fourth turning, I guess, the crisis period. This month seems like it's going to get really, really crazy, like a culmination of everything. We just had the eviction moratorium and we just had the, the suspension of the debt ceiling. And at the same time, and there's a lack of nurses, man. I got to say, it kind of feels a bit grandiose, like like big. The Wall Street Journal opinion from the Wall Street Journal opinion section. What if we're reliving the 70s with no Reagan to save the day? Today, almost the entire establishment is steeped in the orthodoxy that has produced this malaise. 
I don't know, man. But maybe Joe Biden's no Reagan. Reagan had his problems. I wasn't. Al- uh, actually, you know what? Was I alive for Reagan? When did Reagan get 88? Yeah. Yeah. Ray, I was two. Uh, I think I was alive for Reagan. And then it was uh, George H.W. Bush from uh, what? 88 to 92. And then we had uh, Clinton for a long time. So I don't know. I don't remember this stuff. I know that there was a period where my family was content. You know, we had dinner on the table. My dad worked a couple jobs. I don't know where we go from here. I go back to that uh, tweet from Jack Posobiec where his source says, would start stocking up if I were y'all. You know, look, I'm not trying to tell anybody to panic or anything like that because you definitely shouldn't. If you, you, you go to these stores, people go to these stores, they buy up a bunch of stuff and then they realize it expires in six months and now you've just taken food away from someone who needs it. You know, you, you're not going to eat all that. You're going to eat beans every day. But I will tell you, you should have a general stock. You should have some emergency food. Not a lot. You should have some emergency water. Not a lot. You should have a first aid kit because you never know if it might rain or flood and you'll need food and water. But considering what we've been seeing, considering what we saw last year, when they were like 15 days, and then I was like, I'm going to go get some emergency food. We ended up eating it. I ordered a bunch more. It's great because you just heat up, you, you, you pour the thing in the pot with water and you heat it up and you got food. So we didn't have to worry about going to the stores and fighting with people. I remember we were, as, as somebody who reads the news every day, and, uh, and that's an understatement, like 12 to 16 hours of news every day. We went to the store immediately and just made sure we had a standard stock. We had our pantry with, you know, our, our normal amount of food. We didn't go crazy, but normally we didn't care because the store was right there. So we'd be like, we're out of this, that, or otherwise, and eh, whatever, we'll get it when we get it. This time I was like, look at what's going on. Let's go to the store. And then we made sure we had enough. We had a, we had a handful of people living there. Now I've got, you know, the people who, uh, a lot of people who work here. And so we're trying to make sure we're taking care of, of everything. So I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm going to tell you what I would do. That's a better way to put it. Um, I've got some emergency food, emergency water, a bit more nowadays, like a decent amount. That's because we've got a couple dozen employees and we want to make sure we can continue to function, bring you information, news and opinion to the best of our abilities and produce content. And I started uh, trying to, I I bought these batteries. Now we had had a power outage out here a couple weeks ago and we used the batteries to do the show. Like, that's what I tell people. It doesn't matter if the world ends. Sometimes the power goes out. So we have these emergency solar batteries and people would, you know, on the left are like mocking the idea of of prepping or whatever. And I'm like, bro, we have batteries. We need them. It's like a backup generator. People buy these things. How just think about this. Think about this. How crazy is it that people can buy, can spend thousands of dollars on a generator? And then if you buy one bucket of food, emergency food for like 50 bucks, they call you a prepper. Get with it, dudes. Stop being ridiculous. You live in these you live in these big cities. You got no generator on your roof. You live on the, in the middle of nowhere. People have backup generators. You live in the big cities. People don't get water or food for emergencies. So I'm not going to be one advocate. I will always say get out of those cities. Now, I think it's very likely Congress will raise the debt ceiling. I think it's very likely there will be some kind of payout to prevent this major eviction crisis. But it's not a guarantee. I just don't know. So I don't want to be the, 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 the harbinger of bad news. Maybe this is realism, though, and I can pretend and say, you know what, I'm going to ignore all of this stuff, but it's only getting worse. Remember a couple months ago when I was like, what's up with these shortages? Like, how come the major news outlets aren't reporting this? Now we got more and more and more shortages. It didn't go away. It's just there's more stories. So I don't know what will happen in the future. I'm just commenting on what the news we're seeing now is. There's definitely other stories that probably contradict this because the news is a mess. So make sure you're paying attention. 
investigate and do what's right for you. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Joe Biden lost in the Supreme Court. They would not extend the moratorium on evictions. He then called on Congress, who also was unable to pass a bill extending the moratorium on evictions. So what does that mean? The moratorium has expired as of yesterday. And now well, it's Monday, so I'm sure the paperwork has been a churning. And we can expect to see millions of eviction notices and potentially foreclosures. Some estimates say there's a couple million homeowners underwater, and there's several million more who haven't paid their rent in quite some time. All of these people could be evicted. Now, the scariest part of it is probably homeownership, because what happens when we see mortgages go underwater and mass foreclosures? This will hit everything. Not to mention, we could potentially see tens of millions of people out in the streets, or I don't, I don't know what. Now, still, the Democrats are trying to make some moves very quickly, but there's a big and very important elephant in the room. Does the U.S. government have the right to mandate you cannot evict someone? I've seen a lot of arguments saying they can't do that. The moratorium on evictions was unconstitutional as it was. We are seeing a dramatic abuse of authority from the government. And the funniest thing about it is right now is they're saying we're going to bring back all these mask restrictions. The vaccines are working. That, 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 that's, that's, it's, the, it's the craziest thing to me. Check this out. Mark Levin, among 165 million Americans who have been vaccinated, 99.9% not testing positive, 0.004% have been hospitalized, 0.001 have died. You want these odds? Get the vax, he says. Great. So why do you still need a moratorium on evictions? Well, interestingly, even if the vaccine is, is working as, as they wanted it to, as it's been planned to do, and, and the rates are going down, right, I'm, I'm saying, you know, Mark Levin, correct, right? It doesn't change the fact that people are still underwater. So even if the restrictions all ended today, let's say they said no masks, they said, you know, uh, no, no restrictions, go to your business, do whatever you want, no tests required. People are still behind in their rent people are still facing evictions. You see, these things are tied together. When they bring back the mask mandates, when they bring back lockdowns, included in the lockdowns, in the restrictions, is the moratorium on evictions. But if they're saying now the pandemic is, uh, we're being rescued effectively by the vaccine, well then, if we don't need the mask mandates, which they removed, what, a month ago, they're bringing them back in many places. But let's say when they came out and said they didn't need them, why did we still have a, an eviction moratorium? The, the restrictions had ended. You see, the moratorium on evictions is a COVID restriction. They want to extend it. That can't function. These, these, these people who, have, who own buildings, they're running businesses. They have employees. I love how the left says being a landlord isn't a job. You've got to maintain a property. You've got legal obligations to the tenant. Typically, you pay a portion of the utilities. No, no, no. I mean like water bills. That's usually not on the tenant. And some other bills, too depending. Sometimes the electrical can't be separated, so it's just included, or heat may be included for a variety of reasons. These are people who have to pay property taxes, mortgages, insurance. So they're running a business. You don't have those obligations as a tenant. Some people prefer that trade-off. I personally think it's not a good trade-off, but you know, the people exist. So here's the latest. Now, on July 30th, we heard that evictions were looming and Biden has failed to get Congress to extend the ban. 
We now have House Speaker Pelosi and Democratic leaders calling on Biden to extend the eviction ban. He can't. He tried twice. He went to the Supreme Court. They said no. So what comes next? I don't know. Is it going to be like the big short? A massive economic recession or depression or whatever. I love how the media keeps pretending like everything's fine. Everything's okay. It's weird how they do that, right? With COVID, they're screaming the end is nigh. And then you look at the actual, like like the New York Times was like, look at these infection rates. And even the White House came out like, stop, that's not true. So the New York Times came out and said that vaccinated people could spread COVID the same as unvaccinated people. And the New York Times came out, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the, Washington, the, the, the White House comes out and says that's incorrect because the actual data is that if you are one of the rare breakthrough cases to get COVID, then you have potentially the same viral load as somebody who isn't vaccinated, but there are substantially less people vaccinated who have gotten COVID, as I just showed you with that tweet from Mark Levin. Whether you trust the guy or not, the point is the, the, the lockdowns make very, very little sense. And the media is screeching that the end is nigh. The point, when you look at the economic crisis, when you look at 2008, what did they say? Bye, bye, bye. Everything's good and you are happy. And then everything fell. Now, I can only speculate as to why that is. Perhaps it's because, as I've mentioned before, and you probably realize this, no one wants to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. They come out and scream the end is nigh, and then everyone starts running around like chickens with their head cuts, heads cut off. And, you know, that's not a good thing for anybody. Or you can get a little bit darker and say that the wealthy, powerful interests wanted to extract from the system as much as they could before it all collapsed. You see, you have to buy so that somebody can sell. And if somebody's rich and they're like, I don't want to be holding on to mortgages. I don't want to be holding on to properties. The property value is going to go down. They want to sell, 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 baby. Give you the property. So when price tanks, you're the one left holding the bag. Then they buy it back up for pennies on the dollar. So right now, what do we see? I love this. We have, we have these stories. Look at this one from the Wall Street Journal. World economy caps extraordinary return from COVID-19 collapse. Really? <laughs> I thought there were like 9 million job openings and, a, and there was a labor shortage, an oil shortage, a chlorine shortage. What, what are the, uh, we, we've got food shortages. Man, but sure, an extraordinary return. OK, well, I'll be fair. We'll read this. But let's let, let's see what's what's going on right now with this uh, with this evictions expected to spike as the moratorium ends. The Democrats, as I mentioned, are going to Biden saying, please, Biden, extend this. Dude already already tried. It ain't going to happen. Unless there's like an executive order, which then he gets sued over. Yeah. The AP reports evictions, which have mostly been unpaused during the pandemic, are expected to ramp up on Monday after the expiration of a federal moratorium as housing courts take up more cases and tenants are locked out of their homes. Housing advocates fear the end of the CDC moratorium could result in millions of people being evicted in the coming weeks. But most expect an uptick in filings in the coming days rather than a wave of evictions. The Biden admin announced Thursday it will allow a nationwide ban to expire. It argued that its hands are tied after the U.S. Supreme Court signaled the moratorium would only be extended until the end of the month. House lawmakers on Friday attempted but ultimately failed to pass a bill to extend the moratorium even for a few months. Some Democratic lawmakers had wanted it extended until the end of the year. Struggling renters are now facing a health crisis and an eviction crisis, said Alicia Mazzara a senior research analyst at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Without the CDC's moratorium, millions of people are at risk of being evicted or becoming homeless, increasing their exposure to COVID just as cases are rising across the country. The effects will fall heavily on people of color, particularly black and Latino communities, 
who face greater risk of eviction and more barriers to vaccination. More than 15 million people live in households that owe as much as $20 billion to their landlords. Wow. According to the Aspen Institute, 15 million people. What happens if they are on the streets? Boy, you do not want to find out. That's crazy. $20 billion. As of July 5th, roughly 3.6 million people in the U.S. that they faced eviction in the next two months, according to the U.S. Census Bureau's household poll survey. Okay, so 3.6, a lot less than 15 million. We'll see how that plays out. Parts of the South and other regions with weaker tenant protections will likely see the largest spikes in uh, and communities communities of color where vaccination rates are sometimes lower will will be hit the hardest. But advocates say this crisis is likely to have a wider impact than pre-pandemic pandemic evictions. The Biden administration had hoped that historic amounts of rental assistance allocated by Congress in December and March would help avert an eviction crisis. But the distribution has been painfully slow. So far, only about $3 billion of the first tranche of the $25 billion has been distributed through June by states and localities. Another $21.5 billion will go to the states. Ashley Fonsery, 22, who will be in court Thursday for an eviction hearing after failing, uh, falling several thousand dollars behind on her Fayetteville, Arkansas two-bedroom, said her landlord has refused to take rental assistance. She left her job after being hurt in a domestic violence incident and suffering from depression and anxiety. The eviction hearing is a day after her domestic violence case goes to court. Full stop. What does that person have to do with COVID? People get evicted all the time. People choose to leave work all the time. That is not the fault of the landlord. I'm not a big fan of landlords in, in, in many respects. I don't like the idea of I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of what's the right word for it? Extracting from a system and providing nothing to it. Now, I'm not saying all landlords do that. I'm saying there are some people in every industry who don't work and get free stuff. I'm not a fan. I, I have no problem with investing in capital gains. I'm just saying that there are a lot of there, there are a lot of moochers in this country. You know what I'm talking about? And they tend to live pretty well. Some of these people have properties and, and, and their landlords. Some of these people might be, you know, day traders. They're just people that I feel extract from the system and don't provide to it. But anyway, I digress. That being said, this individual chose to leave her job and now she's saying she doesn't want to pay. I don't I don't, I don't see it. You want to talk about covid that I understand through no fault of your own. You're unable to pay. Not in this regard. It's something else. It frustrates me and scares me. She's out of being evicted. I'm trying so hard to make it right and it doesn't seem like it's enough. But you left your job now to be fair. She was suffering from depression and anxiety. She was attacked. She was in a violent domestic incident. But but what do we do here? Right? No, I mean, it's like a serious question. I'm not I'm not happy that happened to her. But we can't. It's communism just isn't possible. And, and the reason I'm just injecting communism, here, what I mean is we can't just take everybody and guarantee everything to them because somebody has to make something. So if you have somebody who needs a home, somebody's got to maintain and make that home. The landlord needs money to pay for a maintenance crew and to pay for utilities and taxes and the mortgage to support the system because people need access to resources. If you stop working for some reason, you get evicted. I don't know what to tell you. Is this, could there be a better system? I believe so. Absolutely. 100%. I believe that we can do a, a lot better. But one of the problems is, and, and, and this is coming from somebody who worked at a homeless shelter to deal with this crisis, uh, crisis like these, for one, it's, it's a lot of choice for a lot of individuals. Some people don't want to be homeless and would get out of homelessness when given the opportunity, but that's a small minority. More importantly, you can't just take empty homes and put people in it. 
Money has to go towards paying other people to do work. If you want the building to be maintained and safe, then you need to have someone maintaining it and keeping it safe. The people who live there typically don't know everything. I got to call the AC guy when the AC goes. I got to call the fire department when there's when there's an issue with wiring or something. We think there's a fire or smoke alarm goes off. Not something an individual can just do. You may be saying, well, at the very least, let them live in the crumbling, dilapidated homes. And then what? When the building starts fire and then the other buildings around it catch fire. Yeah, it doesn't work. The system needs to be maintained by labor and you can't force people to do it. So I don't know what your answer is. I really don't. And now we're facing the crisis, the rental evictions fiasco. Democrats want an emergency measure to last forever. The Wall Street Journal with their interesting take. They said, perhaps you've read the pandemic recession officially ended in April 2020. The economy grew 6.5% in the second quarter. Then employers are desperate to find workers and the housing market is booming. Never mind. Democrats are in a panic because the federal ban on landlords evicting tenants who haven't paid rent in 16 months expired on Saturday. The eviction moratorium was perhaps justifiable amid the early lockdowns that threw millions out of work. But it's now a cautionary tale of how bad policies distort behavior and are difficult to end. Yes. The original CARES Act moratorium that only applied to federally subsidized housing expired last July. But the, but the Trump CDC imposed its version in September. The moratorium applied to all rental housing and tenants who earned less than $99,000 or $198 for couples who claimed they lost income because of the pandemic. Landlords who evicted non-paying tenants could go to jail. Congress extended the ban in December for a month. But then the Biden admin extended admin extended three times through Saturday. Despite rulings from several judges, the CDC had exceeded its authority. Last month, Chief Justice John Roberts and Kavanaugh joined the liberals in maintaining a stay on a lower court injunction reversing the ban. Kavanaugh wrote that he had agreed the CDC acted unlawfully, but allowed the moratorium to continue so rental assistance appropriated by Congress could have more time to be distributed. But he said a clear and specific congressional authorization would be necessary for the CDC to extend the moratorium past July 31st. I do not see how this is constitutional. Cue the political panic. On Thursday, two days before July 31st, the White House issued a statement essentially blaming the Supreme Court. Nancy Pelosi declared a five alarm fire, attempted to rush an extension through and failed. Too many Democrats balked. Biden implored Congress to extend the ban only because three billion or so of the 46 billion in rental relief that Congress appropriated has been distributed. But whose fault is that? Not the landlords. What's going to happen then? You know, I understand this is this is a very, very interesting conundrum. This is exactly what I talk about when I say government social programs do not work. Now, hold on. I like the idea of government social programs. When I say they don't work, what I mean is in, in, in the way we do things, they need to expire hard stop, period. We probably need a chilling out, mellowing period. So here's the way I'd, I'd envision it right now. <clears throat> Off the top of my head. We impose a, an eviction moratorium because of the businesses being shut down and because of the pandemic. All right. We all agreed 15 days to slow the spread, but things kind of got out of hand. And then we had a problem of, of moral clarity when rioters were going around smashing things and they were protesting the thousands and they claimed that wasn't affecting the pandemic, making many people say, what? But anyway, I digress. As the moratorium come, starts coming to an end and you may be evicted, what should happen, <clears throat> in my opinion, is that we should taper things off. There should be a slow... It, it, it should be like for the next month, you have to pay 80%. For the next month after that, 
you know, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You, the, the, the first, the, the, the moratorium doesn't just end. It says, you know, this next month before we expire, 20% must be paid, then 40%, then 60, then 80, and then you're back to normal. And then you should have, uh, um, like, it should probably go up to like 110, actually. Your rent should increase to pay back the lost revenues and to, and to compensate. So your rent should start climbing back up just a little bit to some degree. Maybe not, maybe not 100%, but the point is you get several months to slowly get the machine back churning again. An abrupt stop makes no sense. However, the problem I have with these programs is that they become bloated. We, we created this moratorium, and now we can't just turn it off. You've created people who are addicted to the system. People, this, this, the story from the AP of a woman who, who chose to leave her job. Yeah, I mean, how, how is that the responsibility of people fighting you know, the pandemic? How is that the responsibility of us that you chose to leave your job at a time when there's massive job openings? I'm supposed to empathize with someone who's like, I have, I have anxiety and depression. I can't work. I'm like, okay, I, I, I do you know, sympathize. But yo, life's not easy. What is this idea among people that we should be able to just lay in the grass all day and eat the free fruits from the trees and have houses just existing for us? You have to make stuff for there to be stuff. Well, you know, whatever, man. Great reset, I guess. CNBC reports 32% of U.S. households missed their July housing payment. That was July 8th. Moratorium on evictions? What about homeowners? We can talk about people losing their apartments all day and night. But what happens when mortgages start going belly up? CNBC says, as the economic fallout from COVID continues, almost one third of U.S. households have not made their full housing payments for July, uh, according to apartment list. About 19% made no payments and 13% only paid a portion. That's the fourth month in a row. A historically high number of households were unable to pay their housing bill on time and in full, up from 30% in June and 31% in May. Renters, low income and younger households were most likely to miss their payments. Well, what happens when all these young people are left out on the streets, when they lose their houses? You're going to get a lot of communists. You're going to get a lot of communists, okay? What I mean is these, these are kids with massive student debt, struggling to earn and own property, and I need you to think about things 10 years from now, not things today. Millennials, 30, 40. I'm 35. I'm millennial. Um, we are struggling as millennials to own property. The boomers hold a disproportionate amount of property and wealth relative to the previous generations and those coming, you know, moving forward. So Gen Xers have less wealth. Millennials have even less wealth. Now, the millennials who did manage to get houses, they can't afford to pay their mortgages and they're going to get foreclosed on. And the people who get evicted, well, the millennials who get evicted will get an eviction on their record. Sucks. Well, the people who bought, who bought homes and couldn't pay will get foreclosures on their, on their uh, credit reports. That's a whole lot worse. Punishing those who are actually climbing out of that, that bucket. Crabs in a barrel, as it were, right? Crabs in a bucket. You know the saying? Once the crab starts climbing out, the other one pulls him back in. Well, some of these crabs made it to the top, man. Some of these millennials were like, we got houses. And COVID happened. Okay. 10 years from now, these millennials will be in massive debt, student loans, potentially even foreclosure debt, depending on what happens. Let's say the, the, the housing market collapses. Someone's, you know, $100,000 underwater. The bank sells the house for 70 to recuperate its losses and then tax that 30K debt onto the individual. Now they got an additional 30K. They don't live anywhere. Oh, you are going to see a revolt. Now, when the boomers 
start passing on, that wealth will be transferred. The wealth doesn't leave the planet, but who gets it? A lot of their kids, I suppose, but too many millennials are going to be without property. Perhaps that's the great reset. It's not an abrupt thing that happens instantly. It's something that happens generationally. Millennials will have very little wealth. There will be massive oligarchy. The ultra rich will become ultra rich. The houses that we're seeing from old people, they'll get reverse mortgaged or sold to BlackRock. The elderly people will take the money. Half of it will go in death taxes or whatever, whatever it's called, inheritance tax and stuff like that. And then you'll end up with a bunch of really poor, homeless, indebted millennials, and they will go to the government and say, save us. And the government will say, sure. And there you go. Hey, authoritarianism and communism, all that stuff, right? That sounds pretty good for everybody. Is that what you're looking forward to? I'm not. But it's going to be gradual. Not to mention that you've got uh, 15-year-olds today who are ultra woke. And in three years, they'll be voting. You've got 10-year-olds who are being indoctrinated in these schools. In 10 years, they'll be voting. So this is the funny thing about conservatism, how it changes and drifts leftward. Because... They, in, they, they got the kids, you know, they, they, sh- they, they are the ones propagandizing the children, the conservatives. You know, I'll tell you one thing. I'll, I'll, I'll end with one, one final thought on all this stuff. I hear a lot from uh, prominent people about the problems of critical race theory and critical race applied principles. And they say that they're protesting to get it removed. And there's a lot of very prominent people or, you know, people are like, thank you so much for calling out these problems. And I'm like, that's a good thing. But it's like a half measure. What's the alternative? What are you offering people? You have to create something. You know, I realized this a while ago. We're sitting back watching young people be stripped of their wealth by massive, powerful oligarchs. It's no wonder they're becoming leftists. So we got to offer something. We've got to do something. So I'm going to do something. You know, we're building culture. We're, we're, we've got two new shows on the horizon, which are cultural and not political. One's partly political. It's the mystery show. We're uh, bringing on more people to produce more content to build culture. We're going to do news and culture and politics. And I'm also going to be setting up um, our investigatory wing in a sense. It's going to be a separate entity, a nonprofit that will just do non-political investigatory journalism. So it will have nothing to do with politicians or anything like that. And then we're looking at doing an, uh, an, an educational nonprofit. I thought about this, you know, with respect to James Lindsay and Christopher Rufo to change the future, to inspire young people, to help them believe in themselves and believe in merit. We have to present these schools an alternative. So instead of just saying critical race applied principles are bad, we need to say, here's, you know, liberal race theory or whatever, where we're like, treat people like equals and, and you know, help people succeed and give them the opportunity. I think it's, I think that'd be fantastic. We got to do more. I think something big is coming, something big is coming with these, with these uh, uh, evictions. There's a lot happening this month. I don't know. I hope you're ready. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Millions of people in China have been placed under a strict COVID lockdown. Due to the spread of the Delta variant, China has confined many people to their homes, and we are seeing the U.S. get hit harder than China, and that is to suggest I think we're going to see lockdowns. I know Dr. Fauci came out the other day and says, no, there's not going to be any more lockdowns. And I think that's not true. I mean, maybe it's true. I can't predict the future. It's possible that Fauci is being honest. They know that the American people will not stand for another lockdown. But you take a look at what happened in Australia. 
They implement more lockdowns in Sydney. People ignore the lockdowns in Sydney. The police then get more authoritarian. So people protest. So they call in the military. I'm, they're they're taking this seriously. I'll put I'll I'll say it. Uh, I'll say that. We can see, however, that our leaders may be telling us that it's serious and we must do things. They're willing to impose lockdowns and authoritarianism over the regular people, but they themselves do not comply. Now, I, I think the most important story here is the millions under lockdown in China, because this could be a sign of what's to come here. But take a look at this story out of Chicago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot attends Lollapalooza Music Festival amid reinstating COVID restrictions. It's incredible, isn't it? We have this story. Obama plans birthday bash amid COVID concerns. He doesn't care, does he? They don't care. But they can complain all day and night about Florida. Florida breaks record for COVID-19 hospitalizations just a day after state reported 21,000 new cases in a single day. The highest figure at any time in the pandemic as Governor DeSantis continues to resist mask mandates. You look at what's happening with the media framing, and, and I just, you know, the media is such and I, I'm not going to elaborate much more on this, but let's just say fake news gets written quite a bit. I'm surprised it took 1.5 billion views on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Let's read this story from The Guardian. Millions are under strict lockdown in China. The Guardian reports millions of people have been confined to their homes in China as the country tries to contain its largest coronavirus outbreak in months with mass testing and travel curbs. China reported 55 new locally transmitted coronavirus cases on Monday as an outbreak of the fast spreading Delta variant reached more than 20 cities and more than a dozen provinces. Local governments in major cities, including Beijing, have now tested millions of residents while cordoning off residential compounds and placing close contacts under quarantine. The capital city has cut all rail, bus and air links with areas where coronavirus cases have been found and closed its doors to tourists during the peak summer holiday travel season. Only essential travelers are allowed to enter if they have a negative (laughs) nucleic acid test. Oh, that's specific. Now, which countries are the hardest hit? As we can see that uh, China is not the hardest hit at all. A rate per million is 73, whereas in the U.S., its rate per million is 105,750. Rate per million over a fortnight is 2,632 in the past couple of weeks. And in Russia, it's China's locking down. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. China is an authoritarian communist dictatorship. So, of course, they'll lock down or perhaps... Well, I shouldn't say or perhaps and perhaps they've been lying the whole time. We thought they were lying about COVID when it started, that their case numbers were not that high. They were claiming they were doing all of these things to, to curtail COVID. And here they are. Now, are we supposed to believe they entered a lockdown? I know they're authoritarians, but are we supposed to believe they entered lockdown over 73 per million? One in the past two weeks? Sorry, I'm not buying it. They say, Guardian reports. On Sunday, city officials called for residents not to leave Beijing unless necessary. The central city of Zhuzhou in Hunan province on Monday ordered more than 1.2 million residents to stay home under strict lockdown for three days as it rolled out a citywide testing and vaccination campaign, according to an official statement. Quote, this the situation is still grim and complicated. The Zhuzhou government said Beijing has previously boasted of its success in bringing domestic cases down to virtually zero. After coronavirus first emerged in Wuhan in late 2019, 
allowing the economy to rebound. But the latest outbreak, which has been linked to a cluster in Nanjing, where nine cleaners and an international airport tested positive on the 20th of July, is threatening that success with more than 360 domestic cases reported in the past two weeks. In the tourist destination of Zhang Jiezhi, I'm hopefully pronouncing that right, near Zhuzhou, an outbreak spread last month among theater patrons who then brought the virus back to their homes around the country. Zhang Jiezhi locked down all 1.5 million residents on Friday. Officials are urgently seeking people who have recently traveled from Nanjing or Zhang Jiezhi and have urged tourists not to travel to areas where cases can be found. The country is also battling a separate rise in cases in the flood-ravaged city of Shangzhou in Henan province after two cleaners at a hospital treating coronavirus patients coming from abroad tested positive. More than 30 cases have been detected and all 10 million residents have been ordered to get tested. The head of the city's health commission had also been sacked. The capital's Changping district locked down 41,000 people to nine housing communities last week. New cases were also reported on Monday in the popular tourist destination of Hainan, the National Health Authority said. Okay, a lot of people probably don't care about what's happening in China, to be completely honest. And I know this. I probably could have gone with some more sensational, oh, Obama and Democrats and blah, blah, blah. But this is the important one. China's starting to to bring back their lockdowns. It's starting to look like it did last year. My concern is the U.S. is not that resilient. Fauci can claim there's not going to be lockdowns, but there will be. Reuters, U.S. will not lock down despite surge driven by variant, Fauci says. Do we trust the man? Personally, I don't. I want to show you this story. This one freaked me out. An Olympic skater complained of inhuman conditions in a quarantine hotel after she contracted COVID and missed her event. They say an Olympic skateboarder who was put in quarantine after testing positive for COVID called the conditions inhuman. Candy Jacobs, who has been quarantined for eight days and missed her Olympic debut, said she had to protest to receive a supervised fresh air break away from her room where the window doesn't open. Yesterday, we went on strike because we need outside air, the 31-year-old said in a video message posted to Instagram. Anything, an open window, open door, because nothing opens. Having that first breath of outside air was the saddest and best moment in my life. Not having any outside air is so hum- is so inhuman. It's mentally super draining, definitely more than a lot of humans can handle. Jacob tested positive for COVID-19 just days after her arrival in Tokyo. She was placed in a mandatory 10-day quarantine, which completely ruled her out of the games. Though she was heartbroken to have missed out, the Dutch street skater said watching her event, which was won by 13-year-old Momiji Nishia of Japan, from her hotel room was a super cool distraction from the quarantine. This ride has been the wildest I have ever been on and hopefully never have to go through something like this again. Now, this story freaks me out because they're basically putting people in solitary. I mean, hotel rooms aren't all that bad. I mean, it's better than a prison cell. You know, you got a bed and you got cable TV and you can order food, but you can't go outside. You can't breathe. There's no window. There's no outside time. There's no exercise time. There are many things about it that are substantially worse, in my opinion. This is why we have to make sure we absolutely resist these lockdowns. There's no point in doing what didn't work last time. Now, I'll tell you what my concern is. They don't care. They're going to lock. If, if they end up locking everybody down and, and putting in a whole bunch of uh, restrictions, they are going to continue to live like kings and queens from Fox News. 
Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot attends Lollapalooza Music Festival amid reinstating COVID restrictions. The mayor was caught with a mask off while hanging out with celebrities. Don't you get it? Rules for thee, but not for me. Boy, I'm really curious how long they'll let me keep doing my show before they start pulling the rug out from under us. Fox News reports, despite announcing plans to resume more pandemic restrictions in the city, the Democrat mayor continued to host Lollapalooza, which is one of the largest music festivals in the country. At the same time, she's threatening possible restrictions if cases rise above 200 per day. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is moving forward with plans to bring 100,000 a day to Grant Park for Lollapalooza. And this is from a Chicago Tribune reporter. This is not some far right conspiracy theorist. Lightfoot later appeared herself at Lollapalooza saying to the massive crowds, thank you for masking up and vaxxing up. Despite frequent criticisms against holding the festival, Lightfoot continued to defend her decision. It's outdoors. We've been having large scale events all over the city since June without major problems or issues. The Lala team has been phenomenal. They hired their own public health experts who've been working hand in glove with us since we started these discussions. Lollapalooza was previously canceled in 2020 due to the pandemic. This cancellation reportedly cost at least $35 million in sales. So what do we get now? Rules for thee, but not for me. Nah, we're going to go party. Come on, man. You think we got to actually have these? You you, you think Mayor Lori Lightfoot is going to not go party with celebrities? Come on. Of course she is. Now, as for all of the people who get to go to Lollapalooza, you may be wondering, well, what, what about them? They're not being locked down. No, they'll be, they'll, be, they'll be locked down next week or something. And they'll have some restrictions. Lockdown isn't the right word. I don't know if we'll have hard lockdowns again because people would freak out. But I think we can start seeing soft lockdowns. Chicago Tribune reported on July 30th, Chicago issues indoor mask advisory for everyone over two. COVID-19 cases up nearly 50% in Illinois over the past week. Get your COVID test for Lollapalooza here. That's right. You needed a negative COVID test within 72 hours, or uh, I believe a vaccination. And no, it may have just been a negative test. I'm not sure, because that would be the smarter move in my opinion. Or I shouldn't say smart necessarily, because I'm not a doctor. And you always go talk, go talk to your doctor for medical advice. But no, I, I could say that it's consistent. It doesn't make sense when they say either be vaccinated or get a negative test, because I, I understand the idea that people who are vaccinated are less likely to have it, but they can still spread it. So you need to actually check everybody. There's this viral graphic going around. It's this big green cube. And it's like, here's all the people who are vaccinated. Here's how many got COVID. And here's how many died. And it's like this big, massive block. And there's one tiny little red space. And they were like, it's marginal. And then you look at the, the, the unvaccinated. And it's the same big green dot. And there's a red line instead of a red dot. And I'm still kind of like, that's not a big difference. I mean, you're, they're, I don't, they're not doing a good enough job to explain to people why they need to get a vaccine. I just find the whole thing weird, I guess. Well, here we go, baby. From offices to restaurants, companies are requiring proof of vaccination because the lockdowns, the mandates, they don't need to come from the government. They can come at the suggestion of government or the companies could just do it on their own. CNN reports, corporate America is getting serious about vaccines. In the last week, companies from Disney to Walmart to Google have begun mandating their employees get shots to protect against COVID-19. Even famed restaurateur Danny Meyer said it's not just his employees who must get vaccinated. He won't serve customers in his restaurants without proof they've gotten the vaccine. That to me is just nuts. Here we go, baby. Google, Facebook, Netflix, Walmart, Disney, BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, Saks, Washington Post, Union Square, Ascension Health, Lyft, Uber, Twitter, Goldman Sachs. Did I say Goldman? Oh, yeah, I said Saks with Heaven. Goldman Sachs, Jefferies. 
Amazing. The Washington Post has all new hires and current employees of the Washington Post will be required to demonstrate proof of full COVID-19 vaccinations. The company's publisher and CEO, Fred Ryan, said in a memo to employees Tuesday, Ryan stated the requirement is a condition of employment beginning with the publication's return to the office on September 13th. I am absolutely fine with that to a degree. There's a problem in this idea of exemptions, notably with women who want to get pregnant. There's, uh, to put it simply, they're likely not going to get an exemption. The CDC advises them to get the vaccine, but there are private doctors saying they're not sure for pregnant women or women who want to get pregnant or may be pregnant. And this is normal. There's, there's delicate health issues for, for women who are, uh, want to, uh, maybe, or are expecting. So I don't mind if a business mandates vaccines. Not at all, my friends. Literally not at all. You don't have to work there. That business does not owe you anything. Now, if the business has a monopoly on the public space that's negatively impacting society, then regulation needs to come in. But that's typically on what they can do in the public space, not what their employees can and can't do. To put it simply, if people, the worst case scenario, I suppose, for these companies is that people will quit and that would only hinder their power. So I'm just kind of like, well, you know, it's a private business. Internally, I have no issue with this. Furthermore, they are liable for any negative impacts you may, you may incur due to getting the vaccine. Of course, that will be exceedingly rare. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this, man, like I always say, go to your doctor. But the one thing that's always been confusing to me is people saying they don't want to get vaccinated. And I'm like, outside of the standard medical reasons, like if someone came to me and said, here's my age group, here's what I think, here's what my doctor said, so they're not going to do it. I'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what to do, man. Don't, don't come to me, right? But when people start talking about conspiracies and fears of like mRNA and stuff, I'm like, Johnson and Johnson isn't an mRNA mRNA vaccine. It's like a, it's 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 like I forgot what it's called. It's like your typical vaccine, and it uses what does it use like adenovirus or something. And I'm just like Johnson and Johnson's just it's regular. I've gotten tons of vaccines. I feel fine. I don't know as far as I can tell. I guess. But it, it, if a business wants you to do something and you don't want to do it, I think that's fine. If you work for the Washington Post and they came out and said everyone's got to get a vaccine, it's like okay, well then you know you go ahead and quit. Or get the vaccine and then complain to them, I suppose. Complain about, um, you know, anything that might happen or whatever for as long as it might happen. This is the, this is the best part. So this, this is why I'm, I'm like, listen, let all these companies do this because they'll be liable for anything that happens forever. Hey, it's your free opportunity, I guess. Look, there are a lot of people that don't trust the vaccines, but we have almost every single person coming on the show is vaccinated and, and they openly talk about it. I think ultimately... One of the reasons why I always tell people to talk to your doctor about all this stuff, you need someone you trust and you've got on your side, plain and simple. And if you've got bad doctor, you get better, find a better one. But you know what? What's the worst case scenario for the Washington Post? Do I care about any of these companies? BlackRock, Disney, Walmart, Netflix? I don't care about these companies at all. They're massive multinational corporations for the most part. Screw them. They can do what they want. And I, I think we have a problem with people working for these big companies. I think people got to get back to this the small business or we should, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of these big uh, companies and their interference and their, you know, I, I don't like them, whatever. So you don't, you don't, you're not owed anything. You know what I mean? Like if you work for somewhere and you do work, you're owed what you're owed, what you agreed on. Other than that, if a business says the job requires you to do a backflip, I'd be like, if you can't do a backflip, you can't work there, right? Of course, there are still restrictions. There are certain things you can't do, 
to people like you, you, you know, there's there's certain labor restrictions about how long someone can work for, for, for instance. So I, I get it. There can be laws changed and laws made. But for this, I'm just kind of like, whatever. The bigger issue for me is whether or not it goes to customers. And that's what CNN is saying. So let me stress when these companies are saying that like like Netflix, all of our employees like, OK, nobody goes to Netflix HQ for business. Right. There's not a Netflix theater. But when they start talking about having regular people like customers. Now that I find worrying. That's when you start getting into the murky territory of discriminating against people in marginalized communities. I don't want to see that happen. There could be people with some medical issues. But of course, you can always rely on the, the, the elites and the, 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 the wealthy individuals to not care. Now, I'll tell you the two problems with this. First, here's the story from Axios. Obama plans birthday bash amid COVID concerns. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. It's up in Martha's, Martha's Vineyard, I think. They say uh, the recent breakthrough cases in nearby Provincetown, Massachusetts, after the 4th of July have showed the continued risk of spread even between vaccinated people, prompting new masking guidelines from the CDC. But Obama don't care. And Obama doesn't have to care. Obama is a wealthy and privileged elite. I mean, he's the, he was the president, so he can do basically whatever he wants. I mean, obviously, he can't go on a Fifth Avenue and, you know, attack somebody. I'll put it that way. I'll, try to keep, I'll keep it family friendly, YouTube. But the dude certainly can have his party with hundreds of guests and flaunt all of the news and all of the COVID warnings. But I'll tell you, I'm sure I'm, if, if, you, if you're not a fan of the lockdowns, this is, a, this is good. It shows you that they don't care. They don't practice what they preach. And it's going to make many people question them. Now, if you think you want to get a handle on this, if you happen to be someone on the left, well, then I got bad news for you. As long as Lori Lightfoot, Obama, and others like him, Gavin Newsom, defy their own restrictions or defy the news, defy the science, as it were, why would anyone listen? In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people on the left are like, I'm a fan of Obama. And they say, you know, do as Obama does. He's not, he's, he's got no, no beef here. He's got no issue with COVID. He's going to have in his party. Unsurprisingly, the media is absolutely going after Florida. But, you know, if Florida's got rising cases, well, then you know what? That's an issue of Florida. But there's an interesting question here. As this Daily Mail story says that Florida breaks the record for COVID-19 hospitalizations, 21,000 new cases in a single day doesn't mean hospitalizations, the highest figure at any given time in the pandemic, and Governor DeSantis is resisting mask mandates. He's basically saying, look, there is a vaccine out there. Ron DeSantis has been adamant about the vaccine for a long time. They try to make it seem like he's not, which is really weird, to be completely honest. But DeSantis is pro-vaccine. And he has said, why should we remain locked down if you have the opportunity to get the vaccine and you don't do it? That one's on you. And I'll say this to the people who don't like the mRNA vaccines. I could be wrong, but isn't the Johnson & Johnson vaccine a standard vaccine? And then was it Novavox is coming out soon? Go talk to your doctor. Ask him. Because if they come out and say, we've got an option that's not mRNA, I don't understand, to be completely honest, what the hesitancy is. No, 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 don't get me wrong. A lot of people have said it's, it's emergency youth authorization, even for Johnson & Johnson. No, 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 that I understand, that I understand. I'm talking specifically about the people, specifically about the people who are questioning what mRNA does, right? Now, if you're a general skeptic and, you know, oh, well, that's on you, man. Like, I think you should talk to your doctor, find someone you know and trust. But anyway, I, you know, we, we, get, we, we get wrapped up in this too much. Here's the main issue, the political factors. What will the lockdowns mean for everybody? I think it's going to lead to more widespread ease on uh, voting, which will reduce the integrity of the elections. And, and 
lead to a bunch of stupid news stories and, 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 and bickering and arguments. I don't know exactly. I can say people should have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If in Florida, people are getting sick by their own choices, they had their options. It's not our responsibility. If people know there are people out there who are sick and not vaccinated, then they can go somewhere else. I don't see why everyone has to, uh, uh, you know, should lose their freedom and, and, and freedom of choice simply because some people might be scared. Everyone has the opportunity to get the vaccine. If you do get it, you have almost like, what is it like? What did they say? Like, uh, what was it? A hundred out of a hundred thousand or something like a point one. No, I think it was like a point zero zero nine percent chance out of all cases. In which case you got the vaccine. You're good. If somebody else doesn't want to get it, that's on them. If they end up in the hospital, they can be one of these stories where they're like, I wish I got it. Now, those stories are a little bit too on the nose. I got to be completely honest. There's one where it's like a guy died and said, I wish I took the damn vaccine. And I'm like, it just doesn't seem like something somebody would say. You know, I mean, maybe, though, you got a lot of people. Sooner or later, someone says something, right? But a little too on the nose in the end. Ultimately, here's the point. This is kind of how, how we saw things go last year, right? China instituted these lockdowns. We talked about them. They were spread. It was international. People were worried. And now China's doing it again. China seems resistant. They're the ones who put out those videos of people partying. There's like some video of them like at a big concert or something. So I'll tell you, man, I don't know. I can't see the future, but it does seem like, at least in my opinion, lockdowns are on the way. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.